Hey friends, I hope you're all staying safe and sane and taking care of yourselves and the people and things that are important to you. Is it getting hot where you are yet? It's technically still spring, but I know some parts of the world can get quite warm come mid-June, and that's where we're at. Unless, of course, you're listening to this show in the future. If that's the case, I envy you, as I can't imagine things getting any more harried than they are right now on the planet. Holy moly. You know, I'd say I can't wait for 2020 to be over, but I feel like every year since 2016 I've been saying that, and the times just seem to be getting increasingly stressful year in and year out. It's tough to stay optimistic. It's hard to face the day with a positive attitude and, and a smile. I get it. Personally, I'm I'm constantly trying to find ways to distract myself. For the majority of this year, I've been re-watching old shows and movies I love. I've been discovering a lot of foreign cinema from the past that I'd never delved into before. And when I'm not listening to new music that I've been sent to review, I've been listening to a lot of 70s and 80s heavy metal. I know, I, I can't believe it either. But, but many of those bands and uh, their songs were pure fantasy. Like a Frank Frazetta painting, magically turned into audio. Just pure escapist fun. I hope you're doing what you can to keep your head together and find some pleasure for yourself in order to occasionally provide a distraction from all the bad news. You know, it's important to know what's going on, but it's also okay to unplug for a while. The news will still be there. Okay, I'm done. From here on out, I'm going to do my best to distract and entertain you. You're listening to the People Are the Enemy podcast. Well done, you. If you've listened before, then you know how great this podcast is. You're one of the people who get it, and I appreciate your loyalty. I sincerely do. You're obviously an individual with superior intellect and taste, and so good-looking. If you're brand new to this podcast, however, welcome. Thank you so much for giving People Are the Enemy a shot. I'm the host of the show. My name is Andy Mascola. Hi there. Uh, there are no ads, and there's no Patreon for this podcast. But I do want you to know that I am a published author with seven novels currently available for purchase in both ebook and paperback editions worldwide via Amazon. And if you don't use Amazon, you can find most of my titles in paperback format at barnesandnoble.com. If you love great fiction or, or maybe you just love this podcast and want to help support it and myself monetarily, uh, please head over to Amazon or barnesandnoble.com and purchase a couple of my books. I am not a crap merchant. And by that I mean I... I worked exceedingly hard on every one of my stories because I myself am a voracious reader of fiction and I put a high value on quality when it comes to literature. Thank you so, so much for your time and your consideration. And with all that out of the way, here's the quirky theme song. This is episode 125 of the People Are the Enemy podcast. Thanks so much for checking it out and spending time with me. I'm so, so happy about that. If, if you listened to last week's episode, that would be episode 124. Then you heard part one of a story called Car Partners. Today I'll be reading you part two. 
Uh, now, you can listen to part two without having heard part one first, but you may be a little lost. If you, if you didn't listen to episode 124, and you're a completist who seeks to have total comprehension of a story, then stop listening right now and listen to episode 124. If you did not listen to part one of Car Partners, and you're the type of person who doesn't mind being a little lost, then by all means, forge ahead. Regardless, what I'm going to do now is back up a little bit into the last few sentences of part one, and then continue right into part two. So without further ado, I give you Car Partners, part two. I read over the paperwork Mark provided, and I fill out the direct deposit form to bring with me the next day. The only guidelines I can find concerning any dress code is just a sentence essentially saying whatever I wore to the interview is what's okay to wear to the assignment. Greg doesn't ask me anything about the interview. He eats a couple of slices of pizza in front of the TV in the bedroom, and then plays Call of Duty until I'm ready for bed. The next morning I dress in a gray sweatshirt and jeans and sneakers. Greg drives me to the building where the car partner's office is. I kiss him on the cheek before exiting the car. Hey, he says after I shut the car door. What? I ask. Don't do anything dirty, he says without smiling. I sigh and turn away, waving as I walk. The door to Car Partners is wide open. Cheryl is sitting in the window again, a lit cigarette between her fingers. Hey, she says. She's wearing what looks like the exact same thing she wore yesterday. You ready? I'm ready, I say. She grabs a keyring off the corner of the desk and shuts off the lights as we both step out into the hall. Oh, I say, taking the folded direct deposit slip out of my back pocket and handing it to her. What's this? she asks. It's my direct deposit slip, I start. Oh, oh, oh. Right, 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 she says, cutting me off, then taking the sheet from me and sliding the paper into her back pocket. She locks the office door and I follow her downstairs and outside to her car, a brown Chevy Malibu. I open the passenger side door. Cheryl picks up the small pile of takeout bags and junk mail from the seat and drops it onto the floor in the back seat area. I sit and buckle myself in. Cheryl squints as smoke from the cigarette drifts into her eyes. She starts the car and pulls out onto the street. I consider making small talk, but the vibe I'm getting off Cheryl is telling me it's probably better to wait for her to speak first. She turns on the radio. A commercial for McDonald's ends, and over laser noises, a woman's voice says, You're listening to the TikTok Takeover with Madison and Ryan. An upbeat dance song starts. Cheryl flicks the last quarter of her cigarette out the window and mumbles, Fucking things. I take this as my cue. You ever try vaping? I ask. Cheryl shoots me a weird look. You know, as a way to quit cigarettes, I add. No, Cheryl says. Neither of us talk again for the rest of the drive. Twenty minutes later, we pull off the highway into a residential neighborhood. The homes aren't exactly mansions, but each house has, at the very least, three gabled roofs and one two-car garage. We pull into a driveway next to a black Mercedes sedan. 
Okay, call the office when you're done, Cheryl says. Uh, okay. What is this assignment exactly? I ask. Mark didn't text it to you? No, I say. Cheryl sighs. Okay, hang on. She takes her phone out of her back pocket and says, Give me your number. I give Cheryl my number and she texts me a screenshot of the assignment. When the guy comes to the door, show him that. Okay, I say, getting out of the car and shutting the door. The brown Malibu immediately backs out of the driveway and departs. I look at the photo of the document Cheryl messaged me. I zoom in on the text. The client's name is Brandon Long. The assignment apparently involves stuffing envelopes. Car partners, male voice says from just inside the house's open front door. Brandon Long? I ask. That's me, the voice says. A moment later, a man walks out of the house onto the front porch. He's thin and wearing a black suit and a white button-down shirt. Brandon's tall, with longish blonde hair and facial features reminiscent of a clean-shaven Michael Fassbender. He walks to the car, carrying a small black cooler bag. Get in, he says. Opening the driver's side door and sitting inside. I do as he says. The inside of the car is immaculate. The seats are leather and the console looks like something out of a science fiction movie. He hands me the cooler bag, and we both put our seatbelts on. Then he backs out of the driveway. I turn and look behind the front seats. Where are the envelopes you need me to stuff? I ask. We're not doing that today, Brandon says. Open the bag. I unzip the cooler bag. Inside I find a pint of Belgian frozen gelato, a metal spoon, and a pair of gloves. Uh, I think you may have brought the wrong bag. Brandon laughs. No, it's the right bag. Today you're feeding me chocolate ice cream. Oh, I say. In the bag you'll find a pair of gloves. I didn't know if you were a righty or a lefty. Put a glove on the hand you'll be using to hold the ice cream. I pick up the left-handed glove. It's beige and knitted, and appears to have been designed to be worn by any adult, male or female. I put it on and remove the pint of gelato from the bag, as well as the spoon. I unscrew the top of the transparent plastic container and put it back into the cooler bag. While holding the gelato in my gloved hand, I begin to scoop the chocolate ice cream out and feed it spoonful by spoonful into Brandon's mouth. Am I going too fast? I ask. No, you know, you're doing fine, he says after swallowing. How much of this do you want me to feed you? I ask. Just keep feeding me until we get to our destination. It feels weird feeding an adult man ice cream. While I'm scooping out the gelato, I think back to when I was young and my father would take me to visit my great-grandfather and we'd sit and watch as a nurse would spoon-feed him mashed-up vegetables. Be careful not to get any on my shirt, Brandon says. The last thing I want to do is have to clean melted ice cream off this guy's shirt or, God forbid, his pants. I begin to make the spoonful smaller so as to minimize the chances of mistakenly dropping any. Fortunately, the luxury car is a smooth ride and the highway is free of potholes and stop-and-go traffic. This is the last spoonful, I say just before I bring the last of the gelato to Brandon's lips. He nods and accepts the spoon. I remove the glove and put it, along with the spoon and empty gelato container, back into the cooler bag. Is that all you needed me to do? I ask. That's it, he 
he says. I consider saying that was easy, but I don't. We exit the highway, and soon we're driving through an office park. We pull into a large parking lot for a company called Clevenger Systems. Brandon parks the Mercedes in a designated spot near the building's entrance. He shuts off the car and reaches into the inside pocket of his sport coat and pulls out a 20, handing it to me. Thanks, I say. We both exit the car. Have a nice day, Brandon says. You too, I say, folding the 20 and sliding it into my front pocket. I watch as he walks into the building. I take my phone out of my back pocket and text Cheryl to let her know I've arrived. She texts back moments later. Her text reads, Mark's there now. Just as I'm texting Cheryl back the letters O and K, I hear, Hey! Over here! I look around and see Mark waving his arm out the driver's side window of Cheryl's brown Chevy Malibu, parked a few rows away. I walk across the lot and get in. How'd it go? Mark asks. Weird, I say. How so? Mark asks as he pulls out of the lot and drives us toward the highway. He had me feed him ice cream, I say. What? I thought this was an envelope job. Yeah, no envelopes. Just gelato, I say. We're both quiet for a long moment. Mark rubs his chin and jaw. Was it, uh, a, uh, sex thing? He finally asks hesitantly. No, nothing like that. At least it didn't seem sexual. Not to me, anyway. Huh, Mark says, sounding somewhat relieved. I text Brittany that I'm on my way back to car partners. After five minutes, she hasn't responded, which seems odd. When we arrive back downtown, Mark parks on the street, and we walk into the office together. Jacob is sitting in one of the metal chairs. I sit in the other. Mark disappears into the bathroom. How'd it go? Jacob asks. All right, I guess, I say. What did you have to do? I think it would feel weird saying it out loud, I whisper. Jacob laughs. I'm sorry for laughing. You don't have to tell me. Are you okay? Oh, yeah, I say, shaking my head. I'm okay. It was just weird. We're both quiet for a moment. What did yours have you do? I ask. Staple job, Jacob says, smiling and pinching his fingers together like crab claws. Huh, I say. I take my phone out. Still no text back from Brittany. I caught me my additional message and my initial message and send resend it to her. A toilet flushes in the back and the water in the sink runs briefly before Mark reappears and sits behind the desk. Okay, Mark says, opening his laptop and tapping some keys. Are you ready for your next assignments? Yeah, Jacob and I say simultaneously. The two of us laugh a little at this. Both jobs require you to be here at 8 tomorrow morning. Well, I say, I guess I'll take one of the 8s. And I suppose I'll take the other, Jacob says. Great! See us both tomorrow at 8, Mark says. Jacob and I both stand. Oh, I say, what are tomorrow's assignments, I ask. Either Cheryl or I will message you screenshots of your assignments sometimes between tonight and tomorrow morning. Okay, I say. I follow Jacob downstairs and outside. 
I check my phone again. Still no text back from Brittany. I don't understand why he can't just tell us what the assignments are now, Jacob says. I mean, he must already know, right? You think, I say, shrugging. Maybe he's afraid if he tells us what we'll be doing that we won't want to do the job. Somebody picking you up, he asks. I texted my friend on the way back from my assignment, but she hasn't texted me back yet, I say. Hmm. Your place on the south side of Maine? Jacob asks. Yeah, I say. Mine too. I can give you a lift. Oh, thanks, I say. You don't have to do that. I'm sure my friend is just sleeping or driving or something, I say. It's no problem, Jacob says. I'm going that way. You sure you don't mind, I ask. I'm sure I don't mind, Jacob says. Okay, that would be great. Thank you, I say, following Jacob to his fiat. I really appreciate this, I say, buckling myself into the passenger side seat. I don't want to ask Mark for a ride, and I'm like 99.9% .9 sure Cheryl hates me. Jacob laughs. Seems like she's the type of person who hates everybody. Yeah, I say. Jacob pulls to a stop at a red light. A man in a black suit crosses the street. It reminds me of my assignment. I smile. What? Jacob says, looking from me to the man walking by and back again. You want to know what I had to do on my assignment today, I ask? I'm dying, Jacob says, as the light turns green and he begins driving toward the south side. It was a guy, I say. Yeah, Jacob says. And he had me feed him ice cream, I say. What? Jacob says. Yep, I say. He had me spoon-feed him Belgian chocolate gelato while he drove. You're joking. No, I say. I'm not joking. Man, Jacob says. I'm so glad I didn't take the 7 o'clock assignment. Jacob drops me off at home. I thank him and walk upstairs and begin to unlock the door to our unit. As I push it open, I feel it being pulled on the other side. Hello? I say. Oh, hey, Greg says. What are you doing home? I'm done work for the day, I say. Oh, I thought Brittany was going to pick you up. Yeah, I say. I thought so, too. I texted her a couple times, but she never returned my texts. Oh. How did you get home? Guy from work, I say. Oh, Greg says. Why aren't you at work, I ask. Oh, I screwed up. I thought I was scheduled, but I was actually off today, he says. Oh. I say, throwing my keys on the kitchen table and opening the fridge. How did you know Brittany didn't pick me up? I ask, removing a half-full bottle of Pepsi and unscrewing the top. What? Greg asks. When I came in, you said you thought Brittany was going to pick me up. How did you know Brittany didn't pick me up? Oh, Greg says. I just assumed she didn't. Huh, I say. I walk down the hall and into our bedroom. Something's off. Our bed is unmade, which makes sense, since Greg had been sleeping when I left for car partners this morning. But there's something strange about our bedroom scent. I close the door and take my sneakers off. I pull the sheets back and breathe deeply. I kneel down on the floor to get closer to the smell and feel something under my knee. I reach down on the floor and pick up a cell phone. 
I hit the button on the phone's face. The screen lights up, and I see two unanswered text messages sent from me. My heart drops into my stomach. The phone on the floor of the bedroom my boyfriend and I share belongs to Brittany. This is the end of part two of Car Partners, written and read by Andy Mascola. The songs we played were Zigzag, Miami Viceroy, Loopster, and Shaving Mirror, all by Kevin McLeod. You can find Kevin's music at incompetech.com. All songs were licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. A link to this license can be found in the description of this episode. This has been episode 125 of the People Are the Enemy podcast. Our theme song is Walrus Love by Nokia Ocean. You can find that song and more at pizzapuppies.bandcamp.com. My name is Andy Mascola. You can purchase my novels via Amazon and other online book retailers in both paperback and ebook formats for as little as $1.99. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. We love you. Peace.